Whoa, look out for that truck. Hey, you did it. You're not looking at the road, but you're listening to .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers. I'm your host, New London, Connecticut, Carl Franklin, and Mr. Mark Dunn in Montgomery, Alabama tonight. How are you doing, Mark? Hey, Carl. I'm doing awesome. What's up? Uh, not much is up. We had some spectacular fireworks here last night, and uh, on July 12th, we're recording this on the 13th, and... Um, yeah, it was great. We had a big party. We're like on the fifth floor at a of a of a building in New London, right downtown, looking uh, overlooking the river, and uh, the barges that had the fireworks were oh, I, I I would imagine about five hundred feet away. So, what was the cause of the fireworks? This is kind of late for the Fourth of July. Well, yeah, it's a little bit late for the Fourth of July, but uh, every year, uh, New London has a festival called Sailfest. And the end of Sailfest is marked with a Grucci Brothers Fireworks Spectacular, which, <clears throat> from what I understand, was the biggest in America this year. Awesome. The biggest man. display. And part of that is because it's uh, supplemented by the Mashantucko Pequots, the tribe that uh, runs Foxwoods Casino. Oh, right. Right. They're a client. Yeah, they are, as a matter of fact. Yep. We have Pete Clare over there at uh, Foxwoods. We're going to be hearing from him, actually, uh, in a success story show coming up but yes the we uh we did some training for them so what's new in dotnet land with you mark well i'm uh getting ready to teach a class for the alabama department of public health uh apparently they're going to be doing an asp.net project and uh i happen to have one of them in one of the dotnet seminars that i did uh one of the folks from uh, public health and they said, hey, do you do some training down here in Alabama? They were going up to Georgia to get their training. And I managed to convince them to uh, give us a shot down here in Alabama. Oh, very cool. Hey, you know, speaking of great projects done in ASP.NET, you know that national do not call list that uh, was hitting email a couple weeks ago? Yeah, my wife signed up for that, you know, the minute she saw it. Me too. Yep. Well, you know, that's a Federal Communications Commission federal uh, website. Guess what they used to develop it with? Would that be .NET? ASP.NET. Cool. Yeah. I didn't know that. Absolutely. Probably one of the most heavy loaded, heavily loaded websites ever made. Uh, just everybody and their brother. I, I don't have the numbers on me, but I saw some ridiculous statistics in terms of how many millions of uh, requests they processed in just the first day. It was it was unbelievable. Right. It's interesting. I had a, a friend of mine just this uh, last week. Uh, she's going to work for the Space and Rocket Center in Huntsville, Alabama, and she's going to be doing Java programming there. And she, she called me up just to say, you know, what what's this thing with .NET? Is this a flash in the pan or what? Yeah. Uh, do I really need to be concerned with it? And I said, of absolutely. Told her, of course you told her, no, don't worry. It's just marketing <laughs> hype. <laughs> Well, it, it just goes to show you there's still folks out there that uh, that just don't believe in .NET yet. Well, Mark, um, this would be a good time to tell the listener, in case they're uh, wondering where the guest is, that uh, this week we have no guest. In fact, we've often talked about doing a show with no guest because we have so much to share ourselves that we often don't get a chance to say. Um, you know, talk about. In particular, we've been doing a lot of talk uh, with Microsoft people lately and talking about things at a very high level. And after all, you know, many developers listen to our show and, you know, we want to, we wanted to have a conversation as a couple of developers talking about some really cool things that we like about .NET, about the framework, and uh, just about, you know, issues around development. Sorry, technology in general. Yeah. So get ready to geek out, folks. I'm looking up at the website uh, at msdn.microsoft.com, and I noticed that Microsoft Speech Application SDK Beta 3 is available. I don't know if you're interested in that, but this, but the next version of um, ASP.NET, and starting with this beta, is going to have uh, speech application language tags, which is going to allow ordinary web users who have this SDK to be able to interact with web pages by talking to them. Oh, that's awesome. Voice recognition. Yeah. <laughs> pretty pretty yeah. wild. Yeah, we're we're getting closer to those Star Trek days <laughs> when we can just talk to the computer and have it do stuff for us. Computer. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. T Make it so. T Earl Grey hot. 
<laughs> and I don't know if you've seen the pad groups website recently, the patterns and practices, uh, all sorts of great stuff up there. Remember we were talking with um, Michael Stewart about from the patterns and practices group about the Microsoft application blocks. Well, the updater block is now available, including, uh, you know, the one that is using the bits background transfer, background internet transfer service to yes. update applications. And there's a whole bunch of them up there now. Um, looking here, here's an aggregation application block uh, that came out in June 2003, an asynchronous invocation application block, June 2003, a caching application block, also June 2003, configuration management, that's one of the one Mike, ones Michael was talking about, about managing config files and things. Right. We have, of course, the data access and exceptions. Uh, those were April 2002. They came out. Uh, the updater application block for updating your applications is there. And also, the big one that I'm interested in here, the user interface process application block is now available. Just go to msdn.microsoft.com. It's right on the front page. And if you happen to be listening to this after this is gone from the home page, just uh, search for application blocks on the MSDN page. It's really good stuff. I'm I'm really glad to see the Patterns and Practices group doing so many good things. That's right. You know, their goal is to make life easier for us developers. Yeah, absolutely. You know, to help us not shoot ourselves in the foot. So, yeah, they, they kind of have a thankless job. Not many people are aware of what they're doing. So, yeah, that brings me to a question for you, Carl. Uh, how many folks in your classes are even aware that the, the bricks are out there? Um, very few. Um, a few people, you can, you can always tell there's a few people in my classes who, you know, who who uh, actively go out and seek information and keep up with things. And then there's uh, the rest of us, right? So, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I, it's just not something that ordinary developers will hear about unless they're out in the communities and reading blogs and, go, you know, going to conferences and things like that or listening to .NET Rocks. So, so uh, it's, it's generally usually a minority. Right. Yeah, they also need to look at the community starter kits or just the starter kits, period, uh, up at ASP.net. Awesome. Uh, those are awesome. And, you know, the community one is the only one I've really looked at so far. But I think there were two or three other ones out there as well. One of them did reporting. Yes. Yep. Another one was a portal kit, um, a business portal. And uh, I pointed somebody to that just recently who was looking for, you know, they were looking at developing a portal. In, in ASP or ASP.NET, and I said, no, 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 go go look at this. And uh, they downloaded it and set it up, and it's running great. Yeah, I, I like to write code myself, but I think I'm at a point in life when I don't mind something generating code for me. You know, as long as I can go, go in and read it and tweak it, uh, anything that saves me time. Yeah, that's always the problem, isn't it? It's It's always a trade-off between... You know, how much control am I giving up? Am I really going to be able to go in here and figure something out when there's a problem? And it's it's still a problem. Even, I'm sorry to say, with some of the ASP.NET starter kits, they tend to be a bit complex. And, uh, you know, they're, not, they're there to run, to work, you know. They're not necessarily there as a, mo a clear model with com nice commented documentation. And that's unfortunate. But uh, the Patterns and Practices group, application blue bricks those are a different story those are definitely set up for you to understand for you to use and uh to be able to tweak right right those uh those come from a group that's interested in showing you best practices the best way to get a job done yeah hey speaking of cool stuff um there are so many little classes in the framework that i come across that uh seem to be a little bit on the outskirts of obscurity that not a lot of people know about, but that I use. And I don't know if you've had a chance to think of any, but I can, I can tell you of one that I found recently that helped me uh, sort of bridge the gap between um, fixed-length strings or the lack of fixed-length strings and structures and reading data in a flat file. Um, now, I know that you know we're database-centric these days, but occasionally we have data that's in uh in flat files and what i mean by that 
is that there, uh, there's binary data in a file somewhere that has a repeated records, and the records take up so many bytes, and they're broken down into fields that are also specific byte sizes. For example, an integer we know takes up four bytes. It's a 32-bit number. Into right, but going back way back to basic, we used to use uh, you know the uh, the type def to uh, define the structure of the record, and even either open the file for binary input or random, or random access input right. to pull it in. Right, and we don't really get that anymore. Um, we do have the ability to read and write binary data uh, with streams, but it's generally right. not uh, done with structures, and it's not. And the reason is is because of the fixed-length string issue. Fixed-length strings were left over from BASIC, and we don't have them in VB.net. VB has the ability to define a string as a certain length, and it's typically used as a, as a character field in a flat file to right. read like 20, 20 character strings or whatever. Well, that was in the days when strings were... Uh, string data was one byte per character, ASCII, and now string data is Unicode, which means uh, two bytes per character. Two bytes. Yeah. Yeah. So the fixed-length string doesn't really work anymore as it is. You, you know, you wouldn't, 20 bytes does not equal 20 characters, it equals 10 characters. So there's this great tool that I found called System.BitConverter. BitConverter converts base data types to an array of bytes, and it converts an array of bytes or a segment of an array to base data types. So you can basically read data in, in one fell swoop, into a byte array. And then you can uh, get smaller byte arrays, or you can get doubles, or booleans, or chars, int 16s, int 32s, uh, singles, and even strings. Even uh, if you're using C-sharp, unsigned integers. Uh, for example, single precisions. So I wouldn't read my structure right out of the file. In other words, I'd just read, you know, however many bytes it is into a byte array. And I could either do one record at a time, I could just read the whole thing. That's done with a stream object. And then if I wanted to pull out a string at a certain byte position, I would use bitconverter.toString. And uh, the parameters would be, uh, it would take the array and the start index and the length. So you'd pass it a right. byte array, you'd pass it the start index and pass it a length. So from that, you can just read all your data in one fell swoop and then just pick out the pieces that you need at one time and write wrapper classes to, uh, uh, you know, to serve up those arrays of structures. Awesome. So you get back to being able to do file I.O. Yeah. In a way like, like we used to. Right. Except if you think about it, it's cached. It's more powerful because you can read just big chunks off the disk, which is always faster than reading one record at a time. Right. That'd be great if somebody, you know, gave you some odd file and some weird file format and you had to parse through it. Right. Yeah, I remember uh, one of the first classes that uh, that you taught for Visual Basic 6, uh, you were talking to the class about, you know, every programmer that, that really uh, ever impressed you knew string manipulation. Yep. Uh, that was able to do basic programming. And you gave the class uh, what appeared to be a simple task. Right. <laughs> uh, you had uh, you had something a friend had given you. It was uh, I think it was a, a what is it a PST file from Outlook? No, it was a um, it it was similar to that except that it was for Eudora or one of those. Oh, that's right. It was for Eudora Pro. I it think. was an inbox. It was an inbox file, which basically was a flat binary file that contained people's emails. Uh, email addresses, email addresses and, and messages. Oh, now, what was funny about that is, uh, you know, I, I was sitting there with, I guess, what, about 10 other people. And when you first outlined what you wanted us to do, we were all thinking, you know, we're going to be through with this in five minutes. Right. And it was something like two hours later yeah. uh, that most everybody started getting it wrapped up. The task was, uh, if I can remember correctly, to uh, to mine all of the email addresses out of this inbox and uh, put them in an, in a, another file. And so that meant being able to identify what in this big file was an email address and being able to parse it out. Um, yeah. Right. I, I remember uh, what I did to, to process it even. I wound up reading everything into one big string 
and right. using the nstring function absolutely to, to look for uh, you know to look for at signs and then going you know back and forth to determine if it was a, a valid email or not. Yeah, absolutely. So that was fun. Yeah, it was, and it was one of the things that, like you said, there was a. I remember a guy came up to me uh, before that uh, project, and he was saying he actually said, you know, hey, I, th- I think I'm going to take off. I mean, I I do this kind of stuff all the time, and uh, this, this is going to be a piece of cake. And I said, well, you know, why don't you stick around and try it anyway? And it's a piece of cake. You know, you'll be out early. <laughs> and he was like one of the last to leave. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was a a deceptively hard lab that you threw at us yeah well anyway um so what are, w- w- there's another uh cool thing that we haven't even talked about much on any of the shows that we've done except maybe with rocky and maybe javal which is serialization um and then i'll let you uh tell me something that you really like about uh about dot net but now let me talk about serialization um most people don't understand what it is many vb programmers don't but uh, if you're a Savvy.net programmer, you should probably know about this. Serialization is a way that you can turn any serializable object, and it has to be serializable, not all objects are, but turn it into a stream of bits, uh, either into an array of bytes or into XML or some other data uh, structure that can be persisted to disk, that can be passed over a web service that can be you know passed through a socket connection sent over the internet whatever but t- taking an object in its current state and saying give me data that represents this object and then i can you know do whatever i want with it now that serializing is a simple idea and so people generally pass it off as well you know when would i need to do that but let me tell you something. You can save yourself so much code that you have written before. And I'm talking about things that everybody has done in business applications, like being able to pick fonts. You remember doing applications in VB where you uh, have to let the user pick a font that they're going to use for this and a font they're going to use for that. And right. you know, just making basic setting uh, windows and dialog boxes and having to save those settings to disk some way, like in a config file, in any file, the registry, or whatever. And it's a lot of tedious, busy work to do that. Well, what I can do is I can, for example, take the font that somebody picked from a dialog box and just turn it into bits and save it to disk. And the, you know, the disk file would be, you know, like uh, edit font and pull it back up when I load the program and deserialize it and turn it back into an object and use the object directly. Like no longer do I have to parse out all the different pieces of the font and then build the font up from scratch or set the settings of a font property or whatever. I can just recreate the object and say, you know, my editor.font equals my new deserialized font. Right. Another thing you could do is make um, configuration classes that have all the properties of settings that you're going to make and make it a serializable class. Heck, you could even make it structures. You know, it doesn't matter what you make it. You even have font properties or any other properties that are serializable. Put it all in one single class, you know, and then serialize the whole thing. Absolutely. So, so this is, you know, it may seem like something that only the, you know, only the smart people know how to do. But it's very simple. It's a couple of lines of code to serialize an object, a couple more to deserialize it, and um, you can really save yourself a lot of time. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's cool to be able to take something like a tree view control. Oh uh, yeah, and serialize everything in that control. Serialize the nodes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's very cool because no longer do you have to pull those, create those nodes on the fly from a database, which is oh, forget it. I mean, that's ugly. I've done that. Yeah, me too. Yeah. That's no fun. And there's no way to bind the nodes collection of a tree view. So, uh, well, anyway, the object that you use to do serialization uh, in general is the binary formatter. And that would be in, and here's a great long namespace and class for you, system.runtime.serialization.formatters.binary.binaryformatter. 
Right. <laughs> yeah, I have to have that tattooed on my arm. <laughs> I know. I feel like I've got to take a, a framework reference anywhere I go. Uh, I, I wind up using the help file a lot. Yeah. Yep. Just some very very cool things in there. So so, what are some of the other uh, great things that you've discovered in in the framework? That oh, there's a there's a ton of stuff. I mean, I I wind up dealing with data a lot. So uh, you know, one of the I mean, just the data set itself is so cool. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you've ever you know had to take uh, a lot of data out, uh, maybe you know, convert it to XML and then apply a style sheet to it to display it. Oh yeah. But that's just so falling off a log easy to do with the framework. Right. Uh, you, you have this thing called the XML data document that you can use with a data set. And it's basically your data uh, already in an XML format. So you can take the XML data document, which stays synchronized with whatever's in your data set, and you can apply a style sheet to it and, uh, and transform it uh, into HTML for output, or you can transform it into another XML document. Uh, cool. If that's what you needed for a business partner, uh, so I love that. Uh, another thing I like is just inheritance in general. Uh, I mean, I wind up playing around with controls all the time, like a text box, for instance. If I want to make one that uh, supports, you know, a property for numeric only input, it's easy enough to go ahead and inherit your own text box and override uh, its normal events and have it do what you want. That is really the power of inheritance. It isn't building up. Uh you know, castles in the sky from nothing. It's uh, taking classes that are already there and 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 changing them. Oh, it's incredibly powerful. And, you know, you, you wound up having to, you know, do subclassing and all kinds of weird stuff back in the world of COM to get control of something. And, uh, you know, now, you, now it's very, very easy to do. Well, anyway, here's another cool thing in the, uh, in the framework, which is the system.environment class that provides information about and means to manipulate the current environment and platform. And, you know, while you're not going to check it to see if you're on Windows or Linux, um, <laughs> I think uh, <laughs> it has some cool things like uh, has shutdown started, which indicates whether the common language runtime is shutting down or the current application domain is unloading. And machine name, which gets the NetBIOS name of the local computer. Also the OS version the operating system object that contains the current platform and version. Also a stack trace, uh, the system directory, the username, the username of the person who started the current thread, uh, the user domain name. Very cool stuff. Get the yeah, command awesome. line, current directory. So those are all features that, you know, we may have had in third-party tools like, you know, the Crescent tools or whatever in the past in uh, Visual Basic, and now they're built right into the framework. And, you know, this is good to do uh, a show like this where we actually pull out a few gems from the framework because all the we've spent a lot of time on this show saying, oh, there's so much stuff in there, you know what I'm saying? But we never, we never really get into what the things are. Right. You know? Yeah, just uh, another thing is the ability to create your own event logs. Oh, yeah. I mean, how cool is that? Yeah. Uh, you know, you can you can create your own event log, write anything to it you want, uh, and you still have access to the system, uh, you know, or app event log if you want to write something to it. You don't really need to be writing something to system. But uh, didn't didn't you have a class while back where you were trying to access an event log on a remote machine? Yeah. Um, How does that work? Well, that's another thing. It, it takes some security manipulation right now out of the box in order to get it to work. But there's another thing called the uh, the Enterprise Instrumentation Framework, which you can find in the MSDN subscriber downloads. And this enables apps built on the framework to be instrumented for manageability in a production environment. And it really, what it is, is it's a, a single API to access all of these kind of event logs and things like that. Um, does a lot better, a lot better at uh, letting you access events and uh and logs and tracing uh so it includes wmi the windows event log windows event tracing and an application that's instrumented with this framework can publish a broad spectrum of information like errors warnings audits diagnostic events and business specific events 
And uh, in addition, it also enables tracing by business process or application service and can provide statistics such as average execution time for a given process or service. Uh, and that's that's just a download that you can uh, that you can get through MSDN Universal Downloads. Hey, one thing I did notice, uh, I was just downloading some stuff from uh, the Universal subscription this weekend. Uh, did you know the beta of BizTalk 2003 is up on Universal? Yeah, I had heard that. Um, yep. Fantastic. Have you played around with it? No, I didn't download. I didn't have time before I had to get on the road today. Uh, but I'm I'm going to be teaching uh, a series of seminars for Microsoft on SQL Server and BizTalk. Uh, we're we're doing uh, BizTalk 2002. Uh, but I think what I'm going to do is probably download it and and play around with it a bit, uh, just so in case I've got a little extra time here and there, I can do some demos for the classes. Cool. Because I've I've heard it's very cool. I just haven't looked at it yet. Hey, you know, Carl, one thing that uh, I really enjoy playing around with a lot is the uh, cache object in ASP.NET. Oh, yeah. So, uh, you know, I a lot of people ask me, you know, why should I use cache over the application object? Uh, because they, they kind of work in a similar way or, or as far as how you access values from them. Uh, you know, you go ahead and assign something using a key uh, into the object. You can stick a value in there. So you could do it that way to put one in, just like you do with the application object. But, you know, there's a much better way to do it. There's an insert method that hangs off the cache object. And if you'll go ahead and invoke that insert method, uh, you've got a bunch of different parameters that allow you to control uh, whatever value you're sticking in there. So aside from giving it a key and whatever value you want, uh, one of the really cool things you can do is set a dependency on it. So, for instance, if you've got a file sitting out on the hard drive somewhere, you can set a dependency on that file. If it were like something like an XML file, and if that file changes, it enables you to kick off, uh, you know, a procedure uh, to maybe reload the file if you need to. Oh, that's so you can keep you can keep whatever's in the cache fresh, uh, you know, by triggering uh, off a change in the dependency. Wow. So that's very powerful in itself. That is very cool. And uh, the other thing is just being able to expire something. Uh, you can set an absolute expiration or a sliding expiration on the cache object, and, and you can have pretty much complete control over how long it lives uh, in memory before it gets taken out. And we, we weren't able to do anything like that easily with the application object. You know, So cache object is a welcome addition to ASP.NET. That... Um can you also make the cache object dependent on the database? I haven't uh, figured out a way to make it make it easily dependent on the database yet. Because so, that's um, true. One of the dependency object that the cache insert takes is a file object. Well, I've I've done something hokey where I went in and called an extended stored procedure, and users don't do this at home, but just to prove that it could be done. Yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, yeah, do. using well, I did it using a trigger. Uh, so whenever something was inserted into a table, uh, the trigger would call an extended stored procedure that would uh, uh, alter the file. Hmm. And I set a dependency in the cache on that file, and that allowed it to reload data. But that's that's probably not the best way in the world to do that. But it works. It works, yeah. yeah. I'm the king of let's make something work. Because so. <laughs> if, if, if that works, um, then... And that's cool. You know, that, that might be good if you have a lot of read-only data, you know, that you're caching in a data set. And that's only going to be changing every once in a while. So you you make that anytime the data changes, you output a key file, like you were saying, in a trigger and change the file. And that then the next time you go to pull the data, you know, it's gone from the cache so you can reload it. It's very easy right. to check to see if it's there or not there. Yeah, well, you you could just periodically uh, set something to remove itself, and then uh, in its remove action, you could you could wind up making it refresh itself if you wanted to. So Very there cool. there are other ways around it uh, as well. It, that wouldn't give you an event driven method of reloading data, but it would give you the ability to reload it based on an interval. Hey, uh, you know we've been we've been uh, dying to do this show. Um, by ourselves here where we can talk about some of the stories that you have from the world of training. For those of you who don't know, 
Mark spends most of his days uh, teaching um, pretty much Microsoft official curriculum for. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and you're a uh, you're a hired gun, so you don't you don't belong to any company. You do do training for Franklin's.net as well, but you're also your own guy. And um, so you work a lot with brokers. You don't you're not hired or you're not beholden to any one training company. That's right, but I, actually, I don't work as much with brokers anymore, and there there are stories to be told there. So, what is uh, a training broker anyway? All right, so a training broker is is basically an individual or a company uh, that puts a client together with a trainer uh, to get a class done. And in, okay. a, in a case like this, this could be uh, a CTEC or a Certified Technical Education Center that needs a trainer to teach a particular course, and they don't have anybody on staff that can do it. So they'll call up a broker and say, I need somebody to teach, you know, uh, the latest BizTalk course. And by the way, um, don't tune out. This is really funny. This gets really funny. Oh, yeah, this does. So, uh, you know, <laughs> the, the broker is, is basically trying to put two people together uh, to solve a problem. Uh, and, you know, they're good and bad things. There, there are a couple of brokers I've worked with that I trust. They've always been honest with me. But there are a horde of them I've worked with that uh, that have not. So uh, you know, it's it's kind of funny to uh, you know catch them in various ways. Uh, I had one a while back. It was right before Christmas that uh, was telling me that the the CTEC I was working for uh, was having cash flow problems, and they said, you know, we uh, I can't get your check to you, uh, you know, within thirty days. And that's usually what I do. I I want my check in thirty days. So they said, it's going to be a little bit later. And I said, okay, I can handle that. So 30 days went by, 45 days went, and still no check. So I'm, you know, I'm getting on the phone with the broker going, hey, I, I need to get this resolved. And they said, oh, you know, I'm sorry, it's the, the CTAC, they haven't paid yet. And I said, that's no problem. I said, let me go talk to them. I think I can convince them to give me my check. And oh, wow, the broker just, you know, had a fit. No, no, please, you know, for the love of God, don't talk. <laughs> to my client. So I said, well, you know, we're talking about a lot of money here and, uh, you know, I, I need to get this taken care of. And, uh, you know, I did, I went ahead and called them up, uh, drove over and, uh, met with their accountant and the accountant showed me where the check had been cut and sent to the broker 14 days oh, after the class had finished. So Sneaky. that kind of thing happens a lot. And, and what some of these brokers will do is they want to delay paying you as long as possible, basically set the money in an interest-bearing account and make a little bit more off your hard work. Ah, oh, that sucks. And, you know, another thing is margins. Uh, you know, most most good brokers are going to make about 150 bucks to $200 a day, which is a substantial amount of money off any work you're doing. Right. I uh, I caught one broker. This This guy called me up and said, you know, I've got a class. It's a low enrollment class. And I, I won't say where, you know, the company, but it was in Huntsville, Alabama. And he said, you know, I, I need you to go in and do this at a low rate for me, you know. And I said, okay. So we dickered down and got to, to what he considered an acceptable rate. So when I go to teach the class, there are 18 people in it. So it, it was far from being a low enrollment class. Uh-huh. And uh, wound up getting finished with the class. Uh, actually, uh, developmental had been there the week before. So these guys were doing some pretty serious .NET training. And uh, the guy was saying, you know, I'm, I'm so happy with this training. This was well worth the $35,000 we paid. Oh, my for God. So, yeah, they paid $35,000. And you did it for uh, I, what? I, I don't even want to tell you what I did oh, it for. Oh, come on. It was like, you know, 10% of that. I think I made about $3,600. Oh. And the rest uh, of it went the in week. the broker's pocket. Uh, it, yeah, it went between the broker and the CTEC. Oh, that I was man. working through. So, you know, things like that happen pretty often. You've got to really be careful. Those bastards. And as a result of that, I mean, I've only <laughs> done two jobs for brokers uh, this year, and everything else I've done has been direct with my client. So what is this? Tell me the story about the guy who uh, who had a SQL class that he needed, uh, and he was beating you up on the price. Oh, yeah, and, this is a very, friend, very funny story. This is great. And I, I can't mention the training broker here, but it's a large nationally known training broker. But the key of it, the, the, key, the main character in this is uh, a guy who considered himself your friend. Yes, that's right. This is a guy that I'd known for quite a while, another trainer. And, uh, you know, he 
I, I've tried to help him on many occasions to get work. And, uh, you know, he's, he's always seemed appreciative of this. So, uh, so anyway, I, I, this was back, you know, uh, really when I first started my company and I was, uh, I was out there trying to get work. So uh, I was I was watching the job boards uh, where they post Microsoft has uh, a private site for Microsoft certified trainers uh, where they post jobs. So I saw one come up for a class that was easy for me to teach, and it wound up not being you know a bad bad travel from where I'm I'm based based in Atlanta. So you know I call up the uh, the broker and say you know I'd like to teach this class for you, and they go oh we need you know your bottom bottom rate on this. So I said, okay, and I think I quoted them uh, something like $700 a day, which is, you know, it, for, for a trainer today, that's not considered a bad rate. Uh, but you can make a lot more if you work direct with the client. Right. So, you know, we said, okay, we can do this for 700 bucks a day. And the guy told me, he said, I'm going to have a contract to you very shortly. Hmm. And, uh, you know, a couple of days go by, I still don't have the contract. And, uh, you know, he, he calls me back up and said, well, you know, I, I can get this job done for less. I need you to go down to six fifty <laughs> a day uh, to be able to do this work. And I said, well, you know, I, I can't go down to six fifty. I said, I've got to sleep at night. You know, I've got kids to feed. Right. What are you doing? And uh, you know, right after the guy hung up the phone, my my so called friend calls me up and goes, <laughs> you know, hey, uh, you know, I've never taught a SQL class in my life, but I I went ahead and put a bid in on this class <laughs> and he starts describing it to me and he's going, you know, I want to make sure I can count on you to help <laughs> me through it. And I, I, I was starting to put things together. I thought, you know, this guy is bidding, you know, he's bidding me down against, uh, you know, this broker. Uh. So, uh, you know, I called the broker <laughs> back and I said, you know, does your word mean anything? You said we had a contract, uh, you know, what's the problem here? Well, I can get, you know, I can get just as high quality for the, you know, a lower price. I've got to right, you know, make the right business decision. So, uh, so I said, okay. I said, all right, I'll tell you what. I said, I'm in such a generous mood. I'll do that class for 600 bucks a day. What do you think about that? He said, oh, that's awesome. So this guy calls me back. Uh, not the broker, but the other trainer. Other trainer calls me back, uh, oh, I guess, couple hours later he goes man you know i got somebody bidding against me on this job <laughs> and uh you know they bid 600 and i said well i guess you better bid 550 then oh, no. and uh you know next morning sure enough the broker calls me back and goes you know hey guy's gone down to 550 <laughs> i said wow i said okay how about 500 how does that sound <laughs> so he went man you must really want this job so, uh, you know, I, I, I thought there's no way the guy's going to go below 500 and, uh, you know, had, had he done it, I would have been, you know, in a spot, I would have had to go teach it. But, uh, sure enough, the, the other trainer called me back <laughs> and said, you know, well, I, I, I'm going to do 450 on this one. And he, he bid 450 to teach this class. Ugh. So, uh, you know, the guy eventually calls me back and I said, you know, I, I can't do 450. I said, that's ridiculous. I said, you know, I'll, I'll watch the Flintstones that week. <laughs> so, uh, eventually this other trainer calls me back, very excited. You know, I got the job. I, I started laying into him. I said, have you no self-respect? I'm like, you know, what, what's your time worth? Uh, <laughs> and you know what he wound up doing? This was like on a Friday afternoon. The class started on Monday. Uh, this goes to show you what kind of character this guy had. He called the broker back and told him that he couldn't do it for four fifty, hmm. and uh, just left the guy hanging. So uh, wow. I kind of think they they both got sort of what they deserve yeah. out of that deal. And the 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 piece de resistance was when the guy called you, your friend, your so called friend called you, saying, "Mark, I don't know anything about SQL. Help me out here." Yeah, <laughs> he was going to teach a class in SQL. He didn't know anything about it. He knew he knew nothing about databases. And that's just that's just goes to the heart of the whole problem with training. And I can't, I hear more and more stories that where people get people who come in and read the book to them don't know anything about what they're talking about, and they're basically wasting everybody's time and sucking money out of the system. Yeah. Well, when you get a trainer that's going to do something for four or five hundred dollars a day. Uh, you know, their heart's not going to be in it for that. You know, they're, they're, even they're if really they did not. know their stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
So I'm, I'm hoping these rates go back up. I know a lot of trainers out there that have really suffered for the last couple of years. Well, I can uh, see a trend happening just in general where um, one of the key lessons learned in the, in the dot-com bust is, you know, watch out for bullshitters, right? Right. And uh, in every aspect of business, people are becoming more accountable. And, uh, and that gets to another issue which i know is near and dear to your heart certification oh yeah i just had um any i got an email from a guy and people ask me all the time what i think of certifications probably because i have none um and uh you know why don't why aren't you certified in this and in that and you know my answer is very simple i i've never needed it i've never needed to be certified in anything i i get plenty of business and plenty of stuff just fine and uh and you know, people hire me because of what I can do, not because of what I what my certifications are. Right. But I'm in a unique situation because people know who I am. Um. But uh, so, and here's what I think about certification. I think that during the dot com boom, a lot of people uh, got jobs they would not have ordinarily had because of certification. Because we were in a frantic hiring boom, people were just anxious to get anybody on the job to to do the work to make the money there was money to be made and so uh, certification was an easy way for somebody to study for a test you know who who knew a little bit but could study for the test and get a certificate and bullshit their way into a job and it happened a lot and uh, so that doesn't mean that certification is bullshit it doesn't mean it and it doesn't mean that you should be wary of people who are certified. It's not that extreme. Uh, all I'm saying is that in this environment, in the environment we're in now, it's what can you do and prove it. Right. You know, and a certification will get you in the door and it may get you a uh, interview that you may or may not have gotten otherwise. Um, but it ultimately comes to, it's no substitute for what you can do. and uh, And typically... I mean, I mean, what we're talking about, what you can do, we're talking about solving problems. Can you solve problems? How do you, how do you perform in a pressure cooker situation where there's a problem to be solved and you only have what you know and what you can find out, you know, to help you? Right. Well, what, what I tell people about certification is uh, it's a case of, of value being in the eye of the beholder. Because I've, I've worked for companies that could really care less uh, if you were certified or not. Right. And, uh, you know, all they were care, really cared about was performance. What are you able to do? Yeah. And, how, and more importantly, it's, it's not always what are you able to do, but how quickly are you able to do it? Right. Uh, I mean, I've worked with guys that were super smart, but, man, they were in first gear <laughs> anytime they were writing right. code. Right, yeah, me too. So, you know, they're, they're different types of programmers. So, uh, you know, the other, the other side of that coin is I've also worked for companies that were Microsoft partners, and uh, certification was a big deal in those companies. So, uh, you know, there were incentives. Uh, if you were an employee and you were, you were passing exams and getting certified, uh, there were often bonuses. I, right. I worked for a company, uh, a big consulting company for several years, and they were a partner with Microsoft, and that, that's where I started getting certified. Uh, I basically started taking tests because every time I passed one, it was fifteen hundred bucks in my yeah. pocket. So uh, you know, I was out there taking a cert exam about every month or so, and uh, and kind of cashing in on it as long as sure. I could. And uh, you know, one thing I found, and I'll also tell students this: another value that you run into with certification is, believe it or not, you're going to learn something uh, studying for those exams. Well, that's true. Uh, the exams cover a broad range of topics, and uh, you know if you if you don't use a brain dump or some tool to help you pass, if you're going to do it on your own steam, uh, you're going to have to study, and in doing so, you're going to learn things that you normally wouldn't come across in your day to day job. So you know I see value there as well. Uh, in a tough economy like we've been in lately, uh, I, I think certification uh, becomes valuable again. Uh, you know, just to show an employer that uh, you're you're willing to work to get a job. That's true. So I think that can help too. However, don't think that that's going to get you the job on its own merit. You really. Yeah, that's right. You've you've got to know what you're doing. Yeah, and I think employers are a little bit more, uh, well, picky. They're more picky. They're they're less willing to 
take things on face value. Well, the, the challenge Microsoft or any other company faces that wants to run a certification program is, okay, how do I design a test uh, so that it, that it has value in the marketplace yes. when you're going to have people with photographic memories that go in to take the test? Right. They're going to come out and dump the questions on the Internet. You're going to have people that right. figure out what the right answer is. Yep. And, you know, they're going to put it up there. Uh, that's what a brain dump is all about. Right. Now, Microsoft has taken some good steps to shut that down. And, in fact, there are cases um, already. I, I, I'll put a link up on the website where you can go read about it. Uh, they have a guy, basically, that, that goes after these folks. Uh, and I can't think of his name. There was a guy that ran a company, I think it was called Test Killer or something like that. Donald Rumsfeld, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, right, Donald Rumsfeld. Uh, so I, I don't remember what the guy's name was, but uh, you know, he, he really got you know, taken to the bank uh, due to what he was doing. Wow. And you know, there's money to be made there. There's obviously a market to consume uh, any kind of uh, test prep materials you can build. So if you've got... You can go you to know, a bookstore and buy you know, how to pass your MCAD or whatever it is. Well, you can, but what I'm talking about are the questions and the answers. Okay. So, I mean, the, this is not prep. This is cheating. Right. And that that's the problem. That devalues a certification. I mean, I've worked hard to get all the letters after my name. I hate to see that kind of thing happen. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'd rather, you know, people do it on their own. Yeah, very, very true. Well, uh, um, what else can we talk about? Well, uh, as far as funny training stories, uh, you mentioned that I'd, I'd shared this with a group before, but I just don't remember it. Uh, the the security. Story oh yes, that yeah, this up. was great. So yeah. I think we did talk about it, but I want to hear it again. Right, right. So th this is funny. I'm working at a training center and uh, teaching a .NET class. Go in the first day, and everything's fine. And they tell me, you know, one of our staff trainers is running a class at night. But there are multiple hard drives here, so it's not going to affect your class at all. So we come in the next morning, and all of our work is gone. The drive is completely reformatted. <laughs> and we have you know, a base Windows 2000 operating system sitting there. So uh, you, know, you know how long it takes to install .NET. Uh, and fortunately, they had a ghost image of it, so we were able to re-ghost them. But that was still very time-consuming. So I go to the training center, and I go, you know, what's the deal here? You said nothing bad was going to happen. They went, oh, well, you know, we'll, we'll talk to the trainer at night. I mean, he, you know, this was just a mistake. He won't do it again. Wednesday morning we come in. Everything's reformatted. Oh, twice. Twice. So you want to go for three? He did it again on Thursday morning. So finally did, he got his act together, and the drive was not completely reformatted on Friday. Did you lose any people over that? Uh, just about. I, I had a couple of students that were, were just very, very upset about it. But uh, I, I did everything I could to make that class run smoothly. Uh, one thing they learned to do very well was install and configure .NET. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so you what hate happened? to see things like that happen. But, but the, the funny part of the story is this guy was teaching a Windows 2000 security class. And apparently he was getting a classroom in, in a state where he couldn't log back in. And this was at night? This was at night. In the same classroom? In the same classroom. And his solution was just to repave the entire machine. And nobody, nobody caught that? Uh, nobody caught that. So, uh, so basically you've got different kinds of training centers out there. I'm not going to mention names here, but uh, I've been told by management at one, we're a volume business. Uh, you know, all we care about is good enough training. If the student doesn't ask for their money back, we're happy. Yeah. So that's the attitude some training centers have. They're not wow. quality driven. So you've got to you got to be careful whenever you uh, go in search of training. Well, that's for sure. One thing that I wanted to tell the people um, before we go is that one of the things we've been toying with here at Franklin's Net in in ways that we can expand our business is to address the problem of determining the uh, abilities of a potential employee. And certification does it to a point, but uh, there are certain times when you need a peer's opinion. And uh, companies may or may not have people in their office that they can trust because they may be friends of the new employee or whatever. So what we've thought about offering, and, and you know, we can tell by people's emails whether or not this is a good idea, 
is actually evaluating uh, people by interview th- by interviewing them and giving them problems to solve and uh, determining you know if where their strengths and weaknesses are. And I'm not talking about a psychological test. I'm talking about a technological kind of uh, evaluation that we can do face to face, one on one, or maybe over the phone, right. so that employers and employment agencies can can use us to get a good snapshot, an unbiased view of of this person's abilities. And specifically, employers are looking to see if they have strengths in a particular area. We can easily determine that because we're developers, and we we can uh, determine what their strengths and weaknesses are. So if that sounds like a good good deal to anybody, well, let us know. Send us an email. We're we're always interested. Well, well, before we go, before we go, Carl, uh, aren't we doing a master class in Atlanta, Georgia? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm so glad you reminded me. In November. Yes, Mark uh, Mark Dunn joins the ranks of the master class teachers, and uh, you're going to be doing VBNet master classes in Atlanta. That's right. And uh, we've gone gone over the material so many times, uh, it's going to be like a piece of cake for you. Yeah, I, I love the master class. I, I love, you know, the, the outline, all the topics that we cover. So I'm very anxious to teach this class down in Atlanta. The first one is November 10th, right? Right. The week of November 10th is when we're going to start. So if you're a developer that's listening and you're interested in attending the class, Come to the website and let us know. We're also uh, offering that at an introductory price. I won't say what. You'll have to go to the website to see. It's a good deal, folks. Absolutely. All right, Mark. It's been good talking to you. Yeah, this has been great, Carl. And, uh, you know, we've had to wait a while to do this show, but well, we, ought to, we got around to it. And we ought to do it again real soon. Yeah. All right, man. I'll talk to you later. All right. Take care. Good night. Good night. Good night.